0: This is 112BK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, a lead paint crisis at NYCHA, how to increase voter turnout after historic lows, and check your aspect ratio. It's the New York City Vertical Film Festival. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a busy show, so we're going to jump right in. Not sure there's anything I can or want to say about Matt Lauer, about our president's continued attack on journalists and journalism. Truth, Muslims, what are we going to do? We've got Jarrett Murphy of City Limits with us today, and he's going to talk to some folks about lead paint in the city's public housing. And then, voter turnout and how to turn more voters out. And finally, a film fest that's taking things vertical. But first, these items. On Tuesday, nearly a hundred defense attorneys demonstrated in front of Brooklyn's criminal court after one of the lawyer's defendants was arrested on immigration charges in the hall of the building. The 30-year-old client was there on a misdemeanor domestic violence charge when, according to witnesses, he was abruptly detained by ICE agents. And his lawyer was pushed aside as she tried to inform him of his rights. The lawyers expressed their anger that if courthouses are no longer the safe haven they believe they should be for defendants, plaintiffs and witnesses, the system of justice will suffer. But ICE sees things differently, saying it's a much safer environment in which to make their bus. And those bus, inside and just outside of courthouses in the city, have skyrocketed in the past year, according to one watchdog, by as much as 600 percent. The Legal Aid Society has just announced it will be suing to challenge the current development plan for the Bedford Union Armory in Crown Heights. The armory, of course, has been a lightning rod in local politics for years, and was a central issue in this month's city council race in this district, won by incumbent Lori Cumbo. Combo is behind the latest plan, which, among other changes, eliminated condos. But legal aid still says the plan doesn't go far enough in ensuring affordable housing and mitigating displacement of neighborhood residents. Indeed, the society is challenging the methodology the city uses to evaluate tenant displacement and land use decisions. A hipster hotel in Gowanus has gotten panned by the New York Post. Solicited to review the Baltic Huis, which opens next year, the post instead heaped on the scorn, saying it houses the borough's snottiest hipster attributes in a single property. The hotel is trying to capitalize on the cachet of its decaying industrial location, offering spray paint in its press packet and saying if you dare to tag and get caught, we'll make it up to you with an extended staycation. We've yet to get our press packet, but supposedly the property boasts, the property boasts pig roasts in the adult playground backyard, plus cruises on the polluted canal. I'm thinking someone must be having fun thinking this stuff up, but I have no idea who might be their target audience. It's not me. Coming up next, Jarrett Murphy will be talking to a couple of people about the NYCHA debacle that has allowed lead paint to persist in the city's public housing. Don't go away. Welcome
1: to my black party.
2: The blaring headlines about lead paint, lapsed inspections and misleading documents at New York City's Public Housing Authority have receded over the past few days. But for many of the more than 400,000 residents of NYCHA, worries and frustration over maintenance and repair issues persist. Some elected officials have called for the resignation of the NYCHA chairwoman, or for a new independent watchdog to monitor the agency. We wanted to hear what some residents of public housing which, with 99 developments and 58,000 apartments, has a bigger presence in Brooklyn than anywhere else in the United States, what they think about lead, leadership, and their landlord. So, we're joined today by Ikeza Torres, president of the Tenant Association at Smith Houses in Manhattan. Welcome, Ikeza. And Karen Blondell, a resident of the Red Hook Houses here in Brooklyn. Thanks so much for being here. Karen, you're a resident of NYCHA for 35 years, Ikeza for 50 some odd years. Karen, when you heard the lead paint story, which was about the city shutting down inspections in 2012 under the Bloomberg era because of a confusion about federal regulations, therefore running afoul of city laws, but continuing to tell the feds they were doing inspections and all coming out. What was your reaction?
1: Well, you know, as a resident, I was a little alarmed, but as a person with an engineer background, not as alarmed as others, um, because I know that lead paint has to be kind of disturbed or eaten in order to cause those type of damages that uh, would really affect children.
2: Mm -hmm, mm Like I said, your reaction when you heard the story?
3: Um, Since we had already gotten a letter, the resident leaders, from the chairwoman in July, telling us that they were out of compliance, that they really to do however if there was an issue with lead, I was like, why is there a problem? We've been notified, and like um, Karen said, lead is not that easy. Um, you know, it has to be disturbed, um, and a lot of blood tests are now done for children by pediatricians to check the you know to check the lead um, the lead levels. And so, I was like, I haven't heard anything. My residents would let me know. Hmm. Um, so, do you think this
2: is like a phony controversy?
3: I I think we have other issues. I mean, I have issues about mildew, um, leaky pipes. Yes. those are the real issues, you know.
2: Um, so let's talk about that. So so in Smith houses, uh, what are some of the main kind of recurring maintenance issues people talk about?
3: Mildew, water leaks. Mm-hmm. In fact, this morning I had a major water leak in my in my in my building where I live. Where there was no elevators or anything because everything had to be shut down. Um, Smith Houses is sixty five years old, as old as I am, and I, I, you know, I had to have a valve replacement. So the whole, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I say that jokingly, but Smith, the the infrastructure of Smith needs to be changed. Um, we need to have new piping within the buildings in, in the walls inside our walls, and. Th- If that is resolved, then the mildew will go away. A lot of the issues and the problems that we have will go
2: away. Karen, what do people complain about at Red Hook?
1: I agree with Aisa. They are complaining about water penetration. Uh, Water penetration um, because of risers that have corroded, uh, water penetration because of the old roof models, um, and the fact that um, mold. Well, I did want to say to you, in regards to lead, mm. I think in Red Hook, our bigger issue with lead has to do with the ball fields that are directly across the street from the Red Hook uh, mm. East houses. Uh, those ball fields are shut down because there was an old smelting factory there. Mm-hmm. And they were tested after Sandy and found to have very high levels of lead.
2: Well, that's true. There are multiple potential sources for lead contamination. Exactly. You mentioned that. Talk about, um, actually, the… Uh, Uh, issues around um, Sandy at your development. How much are you kind of back online, or at least back to square one from before the storm? Does that remain an issue?
1: Well, um, I just want to say that uh, we are still in procurement. We have not reached construction stage in regards to our Sandy repairs. Um, There was some back-and-forward in regards to microgrids. I'm not sure where NYTS is at in regards to the microgrid project in Red Hook. Um, There's also the fact that, um, you know, Red Hook is a pretty big campus, and we are in the sewer-shed area of Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. so that uh, there are other problems that arise, like uh, shallow groundwater tables and things like that, that they have to contend with before construction.
2: Overall, how responsive is NYCHA to maintenance issues? And is it getting more responsive? Is the system improving at all? I know that Shola Olatye, the chairwoman, has said she's improving it. Is it getting any better?
3: It's gotten better. I mean, we're we're part of a project, um, a pilot piece, where they're going back to decentralizing in terms of repairs, and that's the best thing that happened. I personally um, am actually grateful to the chairwoman because we had a huge problem with our gas pipes, and now, thank God, last year all the gas pipes were replaced. And we could have had in Alfred E. Smith something like what happened in Harlem, what happened in, um, on 2nd Avenue. The previous administration actually tried to hold us hostage hmm. um, because we refused to sign off on the land lease. And they were like, no, you're not getting your gas pipes. Um, Shola reacted quickly. she reacted. I went to her in May. In June, I was meeting with the contractors. And it took us two and a half years to change all the pipes because it's not that easy. Once you turn off gas pipes, there's a whole process Mm -hmm. that begins. You have to deal with the Department of Building, Con Edison, permits, but at least... The, um, my residents began to feel really safe. That was one of my biggest nightmares as president. And I've been president since 2010.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, was Karen, it, it, sorry, but it sounds like things maybe are getting better, but there still are huge problems. And what what drives them? I mean, we know the buildings are falling down, but other buildings get repaired. What's what's wrong with, with NYCHA that it can't make these basic repairs to the water rises and other issues?
1: Well. You know, you're talking about two things. You're talking about capital improvements, and we're talking about Sandy um, improvements. So, with Sandy, Red Hook received $438 million. Um, I feel in order to safeguard that money, we need, number one, a competent manager and superintendent to oversee the contractors. That's number one. Uh, as In response to uh, Sandy, I think that they're working really well towards their next-gen goals of resiliency. But there is a great problem with the maintenance, uh, everyday repair issues. Um, The cleaning of the campuses and things like that, still uh, there's a lot of lack there. And I think that uh, I would love if uh, NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority, would include Red Hook in that pilot program to decentralize. Our contractors and repairs, and put them back inside of the developments so that they can take responsibility and feel proud for the work that they complete, as opposed to jumping all around the city and no one taking any responsibility for the repairs.
2: So, in the few moments we have left, let's get back to lead. I know after these reports came out, there was a lot of tremendous amount of fear from people in NYCHA and elsewhere about what this meant for their children, for themselves. Um, do they have something to worry about? What do you tell a resident who might be watching this? They're concerned about their health. Um, what do you tell them?
3: Um, if they have concerns, then they should go to their doctor and have a blood test to see what their lead, their lead level is, if they, especially if they're elderly or if they have children. Um, I have my grandchildren live with me, right? And so all of those things we've done and we have not had any issues. What do you say to your
2: residents, who?
1: I say that, um, you know, read the NYCHA resident manual, which will help you to understand where the lead is coming from. You have lead in the paint, there's lead-based paint, and that's one issue that NYCHA has to contend with, but then there's an issue of us actually bringing in lead or um, lead starting to accumulate at our window wells and at our window sills, and these are the places where lead and mold are mostly found in our buildings.
2: Well, Karen and said thanks so much for coming and putting some context around this issue, talking about the broader issues facing NYCHA. I wish we had more time, but thank you so much for being a face of the 400,000 residents of uh, public housing. Thank Thank you. Ashley's coming back, so please stay with us. Well, Jared,
0: thank you so much for doing that. That was amazing. A really informative conversation. The thing for me right now, I'm so surprised about the lead. I feel like we've done a couple stories here or like hit on some headlines where we've talked about that. And I wasn't expecting them to react to that question that way, were you?
2: I wasn't, but it makes sense that, you know, lead is a a scary thing. We know a lot of people were terrified by the news about Mm -hmm. the lapsed lead inspections, people calling into NYCHA saying, what does this mean for my family, for my volunteer group who goes to NYCHA? But in the grand scheme of things, I think what it's about really is that lead is a, is a dangerous but fairly contained threat. Mm-hmm. And those folks and other folks in Nigeria have been dealing with sprawling everyday threats of every nature for so long right. that I think it's an issue of context. Lead's scary, but that's something that the administration is dealing with. It's mm-hmm. the leaks, it's the mold, it's the power going out, air mm-hmm. conditioners not working, that kind of stuff a daily threat to health and the decency of their lives, that's what bothers them.
0: Absolutely, that's what it sounds like bothered them. Where do you think they go from here? What happens now?
2: It's very interesting, you know, the hope would be that this focuses attention on the fact that, I'm sure NYCHA has management issues, it sounds like, You know, that's what Karen was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, But the resource issues are still there. They have a $17 billion capital backlog. That's not something you can manage yourself through. The federal government is not coming in to help. Mm -hmm. What are the city and state going to do about it? I feel like the de Blasio administration has answered that question partially, but I think this will provide a moment to call it to the carpet to give a more full answer.
0: Well, Jared, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on and having you you here today. Up next, looking at historic lows in voter turnout and how to turn that around. Stay tuned. We've mentioned this a few times on the show about the recent local elections, how turnout was bad, historically bad. Only one-fifth of registered voters weighed in on the general election earlier this month. Fewer than 15% turned out for the primaries in September. What does that say about our democracy and how we choose our officials? And How can we build participation? Our next guest has some ideas. Pat Swan is a senior program officer with the New York Community Trust, one of the city's mm-hmm. biggest funders of nonprofits, and a grant maker seeking to improve city life. Thanks for joining us
4: on 112BK. Thank you for having me.
0: First of all, can you tell me really quickly, you know, there you always see these things come out around the big presidential election. Mm-hmm. Get out the vote, go out vote, get mm-hmm. out and vote. And you're saying that's not enough, no. right? There needs to be something else that'll actually get people out. Can you talk to me about that a little bit?
4: There needs to be a a recommitment to civic participation as a part of our culture, our everyday, day-to-day culture, Mm -hmm. so that people are informed when election time comes around, and they're, they're voting based on information that they have and things that they've read and what they understand about the political process and what people stand for and what they represent get out the vote in the three or four days before the election those kind of efforts I think have very limited impact Yeah,
0: I am inclined to agree Uh, can you tell me really quickly one of the things that I saw in an op-ed you wrote was Mm -hmm. about the fact that local reporting is really important to local yeah. elections. Yeah. And we recently had this huge closing. We had you know a couple of reporters here from DNA Info and Gothamist a couple weeks ago talking right. about it. Yeah. I, at the time, to be perfectly honest, didn't even consider how that would impact local mm-hmm. elections. Can you explain a little bit about how those
4: two things work together? Well, you know, I a uh, true confession, I'm not a social scientist, and right. so I'm not prepared to say that there is a sort of a direct cause-effect relationship, but, Being a good citizen means being informed, right? Mm -hmm. And being informed means that you have to have access to information about what's happening in your local community as well as in the nation and in the world. And right now, it seems to me that the balance is very much tipped against information and news about what's happening in, in our community, even New York City and even Brooklyn, which would be on its own among the top five cities in terms of population in the Mm -hmm. country. um, We don't have the kind of uh, local news ecosystem, whether you're talking about the individual boroughs or the city as a whole, Mm -hmm. that we deserve.
0: Right, and how can we change that? What can we do?
4: You know, um, it seems that there are a lot of market forces now that are um, sort of doing a, a job on the, the industry, um, news media in general and newspapers in particular, print media in particular. So obviously we're in some kind of transition phase. And I right. think that when markets fail, there is opportunity for philanthropy, meaning mm-hmm. foundations such as the one that I work for, to step in, as well as individuals who are not necessarily looking exclusively at the bottom line, right. but also have a recognition that um, information and having people informed in a in a deep and um, objective and fair way about what's going on is an important part of our democracy, and it shouldn't rely solely on what it takes to make a buck. Absolutely, i Really, really, really in (laughs) agreement with you there. Um,
0: It's weird how often people, you know, I I think don't think about larger things as far as like what kind of city do I want to live in? Mm -hmm. What kind of life do I want to lead here? Uh, Which in my mind, would lead people to saying, I should spend my money on things that will create that Mm -hmm. here. So what is New York Community Trust doing to deal with this issue?
4: Well, we're trying to tackle it in a couple of ways. Mm -hmm. One is we have, uh, there are nine, ten individuals like me Mm -hmm. who are responsible for making recommendations of funding grants to nonprofit organizations for various and sundry things, and so, my colleagues who work in the realm of public education and youth development are supporting an organization called Generation Citizen, mm-hmm. which is an amazing, wonderful national organization. They have a pretty strong footprint here in New York City. And they start early. They start at middle school. Mm-hmm. And they get young people involved in um, campaigns within their school that are very directly relevant, You know, such as, should we be posting um, the the recent health inspections of our cafeteria right. you know things that the kids can relate to and that way they grow up with an understanding that this is a way I can impact my life mm-hmm. and and so that's one way We also support a number of immigrant organizations that are about once people are legally registered to vote, Mm -hmm. making sure that they understand the the sort of tradition of voting and how that works here in New York City and making Mm -hmm. sure folks are are registered um, once they're citizens. We also support organizations, one in particular called Community Votes, Mm -hmm. that works with large settlement houses that um, primarily are located in public housing. And we know that the statistics show that as dismal as the turnout is generally and overall, in poor neighborhoods, it's even worse. And so they work in poor neighborhoods, they um, help these large organizations integrate civic participation into whatever it is they do. If it's a summer camp, Mm -hmm. then they train the staff on how they can use downtime when parents are waiting to pick up their kids, Mm -hmm. to explain to them, you know, there's an election coming up, here's the polling places, here's the information about who's running. Um, And they help the staff sort of uh, incorporate into their day-to-day operations ways Mm -hmm. that they can sort of impress upon and encourage upon people that they need to be active and engaged and they need to vote. So
0: if I am watching this or listening mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. and I think to myself, I want to know more about the New York Community Trust, I want to know more about what they do, mm-hmm. I want to get involved in maybe helping getting people more engaged in you know their civics and in the local right. elections, mm-hmm. how do I do that?
4: Well, there we, have, uh, we have social media that I'm not going to, you know, try. it's not exactly my um, area of expertise, right. but I will give you the website, which is mm-hmm. a good place to start. And so it's NY communitytrust.org. So that's Mm N-Y-C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y-T-R-U-S-T.org. And that's a good place to start. We have um, a number of places where we highlight and lift up um, grantees from Mm -hmm. time to time that are doing excellent work. And many of the grantees are doing work in exactly these kinds of areas.
0: Fantastic,
4: well thank you so
0: much for being here and talking to us about this today. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Up next, Just give in already. All you dinosaurs who insist on making videos horizontally, that's not how your phone wants to do it. Embrace the vertical. That's what One Local Film Fest is doing. Have you ever clicked on a video on your phone and realized, in exasperation, that you've locked it on portrait orientation? Or you move your hand just a little and your phone switches the orientation back to vertical? And you've always been taught that it should be horizontal, like real movies. But the founders of Slim Cinema want to change how smartphone filmmakers shoot video. They want to change the landscape from landscape. So they created the Vertical Film Festival. Its third annual installation is happening in Bushwick on December 2nd. They received more than 80 submissions and they'll be screening their top 10. Here to talk to us today about the film festival, Vertical Film and Mobile Entertainment is Brian Pham from Slim Cinema. Thank you for joining us today on 112VK. Thank you for
5: having me, this Um, is
0: awesome. (laughs) It's so awesome for you to be here. So tell me, how did this idea even happen? How did it come to fruition? How did we get here, Brian?
5: That's a great question Um, and I wish uh, Ryan and Mike were here, the other founders of Slim Cinema, so we could tell the story together. <laughs> but initially, we're actually all former co-workers, and oh, wow. we all come from the advertising world. So, uh, you know, a lot of our brands would be like, "Here is a TV commercial, put it out on social, put it out on on, on mobile advertising," right? And uh, they would get back terrible results, and then we saw an opportunity to really create content and create meaningful narratives mm-hmm. on a screen that people are mostly on anyway. Right. Um, people are on their phone more so now than ever than on TV, people are cutting the cord. So right. we know like the, the behavior is there mm-hmm. and we just saw the opportunity to explore this real estate and uh, we created a film festival to partner with these uh, filmmakers and experts that's been doing this for years right. and really challenge them to uh, look at this vertical real estate differently mm-hmm. and, and how they can do what they normally do traditionally in this new space.
0: So how do you get people to submit? you got 80 submissions. You're just screening the top 10. Yeah. But how do you even get the word out about something like this?
5: Yeah, uh, so we've been pretty lucky. Um, you know, we've, we've partnered with some great people that have uh, been advocates of us since mm-hmm. our first festival. Um, to be honest, when we were first doing it, there was an anti-vertical kind of movement. Like, people were like, no, why do vertical? Uh, really? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, if you, you look up YouTube and it'd be like, and it'd be like vertical, and there'd be like a lot of different uh, videos, just like don't shoot like this. Uh, but as time passed in the past couple years, uh, people have kind of really adapted to it. In fact. We found that a lot of people actually lock their phone, so mm-hmm. that when they're laying in bed and they they open their phone, that it stays vertical. I'm that person. Yep. I'm and it's person. actually natural to the way we we actually read, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, the way books are, are created, the way remotes have been working. Uh, it's always been kind of vertical, mm-hmm. and it and it really is the giving the power to the thumb, and mm-hmm. how the thumb can control the whole screen. Um, so it was really was an opportunity, and for that, and we started to really. Create this platform that allowed uh, filmmakers to not only showcase their work in New York Mm -hmm. to a various different audience from brands to filmmakers, uh, but to really showcase that their work that they can't really showcase anywhere else. Right. And really be leaders in this space alongside us as we we feel we're pioneers in this space.
0: Well, some what are some of your favorite ones that we're going to see at the festival? Some of like you know I know like there's going to be a top ten, but. People always have faves.
5: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm really excited for this year. Um, of the ten, there's. I mean, each year it gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of more traditional filmmakers are coming to submit. Mm-hmm. One in, in which is uh, kind of politically charged. Um, mm-hmm. One is um, really kind of about empowerment with women, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually a musical. Ooh! So, um, well, see you there. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty here excited. For a musical. <laughs>
4: I'm pretty excited. So, like a
5: musical with like a message behind it, right. and also doing it within the realms of vertical, mm-hmm. um, it was really, really powerful. Um, and we built the screen ourselves, so it's like a 20 foot screen. Wow. That's um, 20 feet high, so it's really like impactful. Yeah. Um, so excited to kind of showcase that to everybody. That's
0: so exciting. So I'm now a person who would like to come. Yes. How do I make that happen? Where do I need to go?
5: So, uh, real simple, you go to uh, slimcinema.splashat.com, mm-hmm. um, get a ticket, and with the ticket, not only do you get to see movies, but you also get some bites and this open bar. So, we have a couple of sponsors that came in, like Heineken and Insomnia Cookie, to kind of provide a, a good vibe. Um, we'll also have a slight after party. Nice. Uh, we're working with uh, Never Sleep, which is a, a Brooklyn creative, yeah. uh, music creative. Um, and they're curating the music and sounds for the entire event. So that
0: sounds great. amazing. And what day is it?
5: It is this Saturday at uh, December second between uh, 8 p.m. and 2 a.m.
0: Fantastic. I know Bushwick always has a lituation going on. Movie, Bushwick know. is the move. Thanks for joining us today. You, I'm man. so glad to have you here. Awesome. Like it great it's to be here. been amazing. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. On the next show, World AIDS Day. It's Friday, so we'll take stock of our fight against the illness decades after it first arrived and we'll look at how it's been reflected in the arts. I hope you can join us. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shereen Bargie, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrel Palmer and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Haugasek. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. If you wanna get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.